standing here before you because I've got it all together. Uh, it is only by the grace of God. Amen. So I pray that as we open up the, these scriptures, truths, that, uh, that the Lord would allow me to uh, preach them with passion and fire as one who is simply saved by grace. Again, we would like to thank all our visitors for coming, and we pray today that the Word of God uh, would impact your hearts. Today's service looks a little differently than it normally uh, does because we've, uh, as a church, been down here all week long in Vacation Bible School, and by God's grace, we've had a wonderful time uh, from Monday to Friday from 6 o'clock to 8.30, worshiping together and hearing God's Word. So we kind of sliced and diced the service a little bit in order that we could move through it. Uh, also, right after the sermon and the benediction, we pray that you will stick around for another half hour as we are going to have our missionaries, those who have just come back from uh, the mission trip to Haiti, they're going to sit before us and we're going to kind of have a, a talk show uh, as we're going to just talk to them about their experience on the Haiti mission trip and you'll get to see what God did through these missionaries and through Forest Baptist Church who supports and who believes in the Great Commission. Amen? Let's have a word of prayer. Uh, gracious Father, you are truly good. You are amazing. There is none like you. And we thank you, Father God, for the opportunity to come and to stand before your presence with your word in our hands, saying, speak to us, Lord. Uh, Father, we desperately need you to speak to us. I desperately need you to speak to me and through me for your glory, for we are a people who cannot ignite our hearts to love you and to serve you passionately without your doing. I pray, Father God, that you, Lord, would, would use your word to assist in our sanctification. We thank you that we are your workmanship, your poema, your artistic work that you are putting together, that you have prepared for good works from before the beginning of the world. So I pray, Father God, that this sermon, Lord, that it would be accurate. I pray, Father God, that this sermon, that it would uh, be taught in a way that it would touch the audience's heart. I pray, Father God, that when we leave this place, Lord, that you would show us how to apply it in order that we would be better servants of you. Lord, if there's anything that would hinder us from submitting to your word and from hearing your word as your people, I pray that you would break through it. I pray right now, Father God, that your ministering angels, Lord, who is camped all across this place, Lord, that it would fight spiritual warfare for us. We know that Satan and his demons is on assignment even while we listen to this prayer right now. So we pray, Father, that you would counsel that assignment through your word. For it is your word that has power. And it is your son that is victorious. And we thank you, Father God, for your grace. Speak, Lord, and allow us to never be the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you open up your bulletins, you'll see inside your bulletins there is an insert with an outline for today's sermon. And today we're going to go uh, to Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses, uh, verse 1 to verse 27. If you could stand for the reading of God's Word. In fact, I'm going to read uh, verses 22 through 30, 21 through 30, we read up to verse 20 during our scripture reading a little earlier. 
That's Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 21. And the precious, authentic, sufficient, inerrant, wonderful, comforting, convicting word of God reads. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked them, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. So when I was about 17... My father had got a, a brand new Dodge Durango. My sister and I, we shared a car at the time, but every time I really wanted to impress my friends or really wanted to go somewhere, I would just beg him to allow me to drive the Durango to, to take my friends out. And most times I heard no, but one particular time he told me yes. Following that, I kept with some stipulations. And one of those stipulations was that I had to make sure that I was focused while driving. And another was that when I came back from, from going out, I had to make sure I drove the Durango forward in the driveway and not try to reverse it into the driveway. We had a very narrow driveway. And if you weren't careful, and if you didn't know how to turn it just right, just in time, at a certain point of the driveway, our side railing would scrape the car. So he said, Jamal, I have no problem with you going out with your friends tonight and driving, but you must drive forward. And he would always warn me, too, whenever you drive an a, a SUV, you've got to watch out because there's blind spots. And when you're backing up in reverse, you've got to look over your head twice at least you hit something because you didn't see it in your rearview mirror. So lo and behold, go out with my friends. We have a ball. And it's a summer day. We get back pretty early. It's probably about 8 o'clock. It's not dark yet. And I'm about to pull forward, and all of a sudden, a bright idea came to mind. And I just heard a voice tell me, don't drive forward. Back in. And if you back in this one time, he'll trust you and he'll know that you're a good driver. So this voice convinced me to go against my father's word. 
and I put the car in reverse, and I was doing good. And I remember thinking to myself, see, this isn't hard at all. He makes it look easy, and I'm making it look easy. And I'm looking through my rearview mirror, and I get to the point that's difficult, and I whip the car looking this way, come back with the car looking that way, and then I heard music, and it sounded like, screech! And I said, oh boy, am I in trouble. So I hopped out the, the car and looked, and lo and behold, there was a long scratch on both doors. I don't think I have to tell you the rest of the story. You know, blind spots aren't just in vehicles. <laughs> uh, we, as individuals, we have blind spots. Every single one of us has areas in our lives that we think are clear that are not clear. In fact, when we talk about blindness just in general, we know that those who are physically blind are normally put into two categories. The first category is a person who is completely blind, or who, what they call total blindness. And that means that there is no light that can come through a person's eye. The second category is a category called partial blindness. And under the category of partial blindness, there's a long list of types of partial blindness. Well, the Bible teaches us that the same is true when it comes to the spiritual realm and our spiritual lives. There are two types of people. There are those who are completely blind, that is, those who do not know Jesus and who are not saved by Jesus. Those whose hearts have not been shaped yet to love Jesus. They are completely blind. They do not see Jesus in the light that God would have them to see them. But the second category of persons is those who are partially blind, who have partial blindness. And the Bible teaches us that those who have partial blindness are all of those who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches us that there is no one person who sees everything clearly. There's no one person who has the proper theology or perfect theology. There's no one person who can apply God's word perfectly to their heart. There was only one person who had complete sight, and his name was Jesus. And as we look at the book of Mark, we want to, to note something, that Mark is writing these stories, and he has put story after story together, not by accident, but on purpose. Up until this section in Mark, Mark has been trying to answer one primary question. And that one question that he has been asking and answering is this. It's, who is this? Who is Jesus? One day Jesus was in a boat with his disciples and a great windstorm arose and Jesus told the sea to shut up and be still and it was quiet. And the disciples afterwards asked themselves, who is this? That is the answer, the question that Mark has been asking and that he wants his readers to ask. And that is also the question that Mark is answering. He is trying to show us who Jesus really is. Now, at the end of this section in Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through 30, 
we see that the disciples are finally able to give the correct answer. They are asked the question, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say Elijah, some say this person, some says that person. But Jesus asked them a question, who do you say that I am? And the Bible says that Peter shouts, you are the Christ, the son of God. They were finally able to answer the question, who is this? Now, right at this section in Mark, Mark chapter 8, we want to note that this is the middle of the book. Peter's confession is directly uh, announced at the middle of Mark. And at the end of Mark, we'll see someone else answering the same question. And it is a centurion servant who is at the foot of the cross. And he sees Jesus being crucified. And he says, truly, this was the son of God. So both a Jew answers it correctly. And we'll see that eventually a Gentile answers it correctly. And this is only a result of God's grace, because as we're going to see through this text, we all suffer from some type of spiritual blindness. And the question that we must ask ourselves as believers and those who have not put their faith in Jesus is this, is who can heal us from our spiritual blindness? That's what this text is going to answer for us today. As we look at chapter 8, we see that in verse 8, it starts off this way. In those days when, again, a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them. Now, we must understand in this text that there are effects of spiritual blindness, There are some spiritual effects of spiritual blindness. And in verse 1, we learn the first effect of spiritual blindness. And the first effect is this. Spiritual blindness hinders our spiritual memory. Spiritual blindness hinders our spiritual memory. And again, you have a, a handout in your bulletin uh, if you want to follow along. Spiritual blindness hinders our spiritual memory. So it says that again there was a great crowd and this great crowd has gathered and there is absolutely nothing to eat. And his disciples, they they come to him and, and Jesus begins to minister to them. And he tells them that he has compassion on the crowd because they have been with him for three days and they have nothing to eat. And he knows that if they send the crowds away, if they send these 4,000 people away, that people will probably faint on the way because they've been listening to Jesus and following Jesus for three days. And in verse 4, we read this. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Crowd of people, 4,000 people, they're hungry, very little food. In fact, we read that there are seven loaves of bread and small fish. That word small fish was the word that was often used for sardines, very small fish. 
And they say, how can't we feed these people? Now, what we want to understand is that this was not the first time that they were in this situation. Two chapters over, we read that they're in a very, very similar situation, a similar situation that's so similar that some theologians try to say that it was the same situation, and Mark made a mistake by duplicating the story. We read that Jesus before, in chapter 6, has 5,000 people in a desolate place, and these people are hungry. And a small boy there has some fish and some loaves, a small lunch. And we read that Jesus takes this boy's small lunch and he turns it into a buffet. They're in the same exact situation. And they ask the same exact question. Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 with a lad's lunch just a time ago. And they respond the same way. In Mark chapter 6, verse 35, they ask that question, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. This should be shocking to us. This should be absurd. In fact, I'll be honest. It's hard to believe sometimes that this happened twice, and the disciples responded the same way twice. But what this text shows us is it shows us the effects of spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness affects our spiritual memory. It hinders us from being able to assess a situation and say, you know what? This this situation is desolate. This situation looks bad. Things are going really wrong right now. But you know what? I've been through this situation before. And God provided for me in this situation before. But spiritual blindness, it blinds us in such a way that while we're in a situation, we don't think to think back. And it blinds us in a situation and it almost presents the same thing that we may have went through last week, the month before, last year, and it makes it look like this situation is new. How many of us are going through the same trials over and over and over again? But when the same trials come, our initial response is fear and doubt rather than faith. See, Jesus is trying to teach us what what true faith is. And and, and Mark has been showing us that that true faith is unconditional trust in Jesus. True faith says that Jesus is Lord of the desolate place, that Jesus is Lord of the remote place. True faith says that no matter what my situation looks like, I am never out. You can never cross me out and say that, 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 that God is not able to save me because God is with me. And Jesus is trying to teach these disciples to have unconditional trust in him. Do you see yourself in these disciples? Some of you, God has healed you. He's healed you of some amazing things. Not just physically, but spiritually. And sometimes we allow Sometimes when, when our hearts get sick or, or things don't go well, we, we, we allow ourselves to, 
to be duped into thinking that God can't do this for me. If God did it for you once, why can't he do it for you a second and third time? If God put food on the table for you last month and your funds were, were minimum, why can't he put food on the table for you this month? If God healed you from some sinful habit, why can't he heal you from another sinful habit? We are prone to worry, prone to doubt. You say, well, I'm, I'm not, I handle my storms well. You know, I, I come around. The issue isn't coming around. The issue is responding in faith immediately. I'm sure as the disciples were handing out bread and fish, they came around like, man, you know what? This is kind of similar. We did this before. God wants us to respond in faith by unconditionally trusting him in desolate places. Unconditionally trusting him in desolate places. Doubt, worry, anxiety is a sin. And the reason why doubt Worry and anxiety is a sin is because it is rooted in unbelief. When we doubt, even as believers, these are the disciples, these are the ones who were following Jesus. What they were saying was that, Jesus, you can't satisfy us and you can't satisfy us in this situation. And when we are worrying, when we are doubting, when we're allowing our blood pressure and our cholesterol to rise, we're saying, Jesus, I don't believe that you can satisfy me. I don't believe that you can come through. And what is that a result of? That is a result of a blind spot. That is us listening to our own voice, listening to Satan say, hey, you can reverse, put it in reverse. You can do this yourself. Jesus satisfies. Look at verse number eight. Verse number eight says, And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. So in verse four, they ask the question, how can we feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And then we see in verse eight, it's answered. Jesus can feed these people in a desolate place. Second, effect of spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness hinders us from being compassionate people. Not only does it hinder us, our spiritual memory, but it hinders us from being compassionate people. We see here in verse number two that it says, Jesus says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. This is an interesting word here that is used in the Greek for compassion. This word here that is used in the Greek for compassion is, is a word that was often used to describe the entrails of an animal. It was a word that described the, the vital organs of an animal. During ancient animal sacrifices, the heart, the lungs, and the kidneys, they were eaten by the priest and and before the, the animal was sacrificed. So the priest would eat it, and, and, and then they'll make a sacrifice. And over time, this word uh, started kind of becoming a, a phrase that meant uh, when, whenever you remove with compassion, it means that uh, all your vital organs inside was just kind of gut-wrenching. It was, it was a gut-wrenching 
feeling that you had for someone. You literally was, was kind of eating <laughs> the, the vital organ. It felt like you were eating the vital organs of an animal. So, so when Jesus is talking here, he's not talking just about, oh, like Jesus was moved with compassion. No, this is a picture of a gut-wrenching compassion. This is a picture of Jesus being broken. In fact, in chapter 6, when Jesus is in a similar situation with the disciples before, the Bible says that Jesus looked upon a crowd and he said he looked and he said that these people look like sheep with no shepherd. It's gut-wrenching for him to see the people that he created, the people that God had a purpose for, being lost. And he looks at these people with the same compassion, with a gut-wrenching compassion. It is tearing him up inside that they are hungry. And not just physically, but spiritually, it's tearing them up inside that they are in a desolate place and they don't yet know that Jesus is the one who satisfies. And, and while Jesus is feeling this way, his disciples cannot feel this way because they are blind. And, why, and, and they don't see how Jesus is the Son of God and how Jesus did not come. Even though he was the Son of God, he did not come to be served but to serve. They have not yet been spiritually enlightened to have a heart that says, I want to use my life to serve other people so that they can know you and your Father. So, what happens? Instead of focusing on these people, they focus on themselves and they make it about them. They say, wait a minute, these people are hungry. Who's going to pay for this meal? <laughs> Send them away because we're not going to pay for it. <laughs> and they become self-focused. The situation becomes about them and they miss out on being able to see people from the eyes of Jesus because they don't have faith. They don't believe that Jesus can provide. Their spiritual blindness leads them to be blind to the compassion of other people. And as a believer, I have to admit, you have to admit, we have to admit that as the people of God, that we are partially blind. That, that, that sometimes, even in our storms and our trials, instead of making it about God and what he wants for people, we make it about us. And we can't have a gut-wrenching compassion others. That's a result of spiritual blindness. And, and the question is, is how are we healed from it? And the person who thinks that they're compassionate, the person who thinks that they have the heart of Jesus, a person who has not learned to see that Jesus' heart is really unattainable. He can give us a part of it, but no one has a gut-wrenching compassion for broken and needy people like Jesus. And we can only pray, God, give me a portion of that gut-wrenching compassion. Third, we see that spiritual blindness hides its faithlessness behind excuses. Spiritual blindness, it affects us and it causes us to hide its faithfulness behind excuses. Verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test them, and they sighed deeply, and he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and got into the boat and went to the other side. So the scene switches. 
Jesus miraculously feeds 4,000 men, 4,000 people. And now they're getting ready, they're, they're traveling. And look what happens. The Pharisees come up to them, and the Bible says that they begin to argue with them. Now, this word in the Greek, the Pharisees came up to them, is a word that was often associated with a military rank rushing up on an opponent or coming in rank file. So this is an aggressive word. They didn't just come up to Jesus. Like, they came up to Jesus. This is a, a scene where, where their hearts are volatile to Jesus. And we know that these Pharisees have been, been following Jesus all around. And they ask a peculiar question. They say, Jesus, show us a sign from heaven. Other words, prove to us that you are the Son of God. Now, if we have been reading Mark carefully, we have to ask ourselves, well, what are they really asking? Because in Mark chapter 2, we read that Jesus was in a, in a home and there was a crowd of people that were there and a, a paralytic was lowered through the roof. And he was desperate to get healed by Jesus and his friends brought him before Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus healed the man and declared that his sins were forgiven. And the Bible says that the Pharisees were in the front row. They had a front row seat. They saw a man with paralysis walk. In the next chapter, we see a man with a withered hand. He, his hand is not useful. And the Pharisees are watching Jesus to see if Jesus is going to heal this man on a Sabbath. And the Bible says that Jesus told the man to stretch out his hand and his hand was healed. The Pharisees had a front seat. They have been seeing Jesus work. They have seen his miraculous power. And yet they say, give us a sign. Why are they asking for a sign? Well, I think the reason that they are asking for a sign is, 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 is multi-layered. But one of the reasons was is because they were spiritually blind and they had convinced themselves that Jesus was like Pharaoh's magicians. That the only reason that Jesus was able to do these miracles was because Jesus was working with Satan. Remember when they attributed God's work to Satan and he warned them about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? So what they're saying here is we don't want to see a miracle. We need to see a sign from God that clearly tells us that you are the Son of God and you have authority. You have authority. And some people are like that, right? Always looking for a sign and saying, I need a sign from God. But Jesus does not answer them and give them a sign. Why? Why? I believe it's two reasons. It could be many more, but two reasons in meditating on this passage in the context. The first is is that the sign, a sign from heaven, would not have healed them of faithlessness. See, they wanted Jesus to prove once and for all that he was the Son of God. But what they failed to understand is that as soon as that sign had been shown, they would have went right back to doubting. Even if they don't doubt that he's the Son of God, they would have doubted him in another way. Why? Listen. Because every relationship requires faith and trust if it's going to be a healthy relationship. I, you cannot fully know anyone. I cannot fully know anyone. So in knowing someone and, and trusting someone, it takes a level of faith. Here's an example. 
When I'm driving, especially when we were first married, my wife would get really nervous whenever I was coming upon an exit. Because I have a tendency to wait to the last moment to work myself over through traffic. <laughs> and then hop off on the exit. I'm that guy that you say, why, do, why don't he just get behind me and wait? I'm that guy. The Lord is working on me. <laughs> right? But after spending time with me and stuff like that, she, she's just kind of, okay, this is him. So sometimes, even though we're coming up on an exit, she has to uh, have faith <laughs> that I know that this is the exit and that I'm going to make the exit. Right? If not, she will always be worrying me <laughs> and saying, you know, the exit is coming up. So it takes faith that he knows, he sees, and he's going to get off. Right? But she doesn't fully know me or understand. She doesn't know what I'm thinking at the time. I could be daydreaming, right? But she has faith. So the problem is, is when we ask God to prove himself with a big sign, is we're trying to eliminate faith. And even if he proves himself with a big sign, the next time we're in a bad situation, we still won't be able to respond in faith because the issue is, is that we have not yet committed to trust him. So that's what's happening to Israel in the Old Testament when God delivers them from Egypt. He delivers them with all of these signs and miracles. They come upon the Red Sea. They're in a hard situation as the Red Sea's before them and Pharaoh's army is coming after them. God splits the Red Sea open, and the Bible says that they miraculously walked through on, on, on dry ground. And we say, you know, if God had did that for me, if he had showed that for me, there's no way I would ever doubt God. <laughs> but the point of that, service, uh, that story is not so that we can walk away feeling like we're Moses and we get it, but so that we can understand the effects of spiritual blindness and say, you know what, I'm Israel. The reason why they could not respond in faith, the rest of the way is because they were always wanting God to do another sign and prove himself. And they had not yet committed to trust him unconditionally. Revelations says that, Revelations 21, we have a, a beautiful picture of Jesus and how when he comes back to earth, he's going to rule the earth for a thousand years before he finally makes a new earth and a new heavens. But the Bible says that he's going to literally be ruling the earth, be king of the earth. All of the earth is going to be ruled by him. But Satan, after those thousand years are up, he's going to cause people to doubt Jesus and raise up an army to fight Jesus for the final time before the creation of a new heavens and new earth. They see Jesus, but yet they still doubt him. Every relationship takes faith. The second reason why we see that Jesus doesn't answer them is because he understands that the Pharisees want him on their terms and not his. They are trying to control him. They want him to be a puppet and they wanted him to come as the Messiah the way that they wanted him to come and not the way that God chose for him to come. This is what I'm saying. Some of us, we're, we're the same way. We're, we want Jesus on our terms. 
The reason why we have not put our faith and trust in Jesus and decided to follow him unconditionally and to place our faith in him unconditionally is because we want him to okay the things that we like, even though we know he's not okay with it. So we make excuses on why we don't serve him. We make excuses, right? We say, oh, the reason I don't come to church is because there's so many hypocrites in the church. Look at your neighbor and say, excuses. The reason I don't come to church is because they do this, or they do this, or they do this, and they are not this, and they're not this. And we're just putting up excuses, hiding, when the real issue is that we really just don't want to trust Jesus. The reason I haven't given my life to the Lord is because I, I just need one more confirmation, one more sign. And I want you to know that God will give you that confirmation, give you that sign, and then there'll be one more after that. Spiritual blindness, it affects us by causing us to, to make excuses and to hide behind. Are there some excuses that you're hiding behind on why you can't radically follow Jesus? Believers and unbelievers. It takes faith to follow Jesus. I remember we at the Brotherhood had, uh, we, we have a, a small group called the Brotherhood, and one of our first studies was a book called Jesusology, is about the person of Jesus. And we had a visitor there, a guy who was a, a, a non-believer, and he wanted to learn more about Jesus. So it was a great book about the person of Jesus. And he came, and he was pretty faithful and coming. And uh, we got towards the end, and we're like, hey, you see Jesus. We've talked about Jesus in depth. Uh, do you want to follow Jesus? And he shared with us that he would follow Jesus. He just needs more signs. And, and what's funny is he had just shared with us an unbelievable testimony about how God had healed him, had delivered him for, from a car accident. And he's like, I just need one more sign. And sadly so, he walked away from that study, a study that lasted about three or four months, without knowing Jesus, because he was spiritually blind. Faith puts into action what you already know about Jesus. When Jesus calls you to follow him, he doesn't call you. He's not saying, follow me because you have all of the answers. He's not saying, follow me because, because you know everything. He's saying, no, put into action the things that you already know, the things that you've already learned about me. Put into action the fact that you believe that I walked this earth and that I came. Put into action the fact that you believe that I died in your place, the death that you deserve because of your sin and because it has separated you from God. Put into place the fact that you believe that I was resurrected. I'm not asking you to know everything. I'm asking you to trust what you do know and follow me. And follow me. Fourth. Fourth effect of spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness hardens our heart and is open to bad influence. Spiritual blindness hardens our heart and is open to bad influence. This is a quite comical, but at the same time, <laughs> for Jesus it wasn't comical. Uh, but sad section, as we look at verse 14. And it says, now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. So these are the disciples with Jesus. 
And can you just imagine them? They're like, man, we forgot to bring bed. They're in the boat. They're looking at each other like, Peter, did you bring bed? Like, we keep getting in bad situations because we don't have bread, you know. So they're in a the boat. They don't have bread. Verse 15 says, and he cautioned them, saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they begin discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. <laughs> and Jesus, aware of them, said, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hard and having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? So Jesus is, is, is talking now. He's using an analogy. He's saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, we know that leaven, uh, uh, that, that yeast is leaven that ferments and that causes dough to rise, to spread. So if we take out that word leaven, we, and we can understand that what Jesus is talking about is influence here. He's saying, beware of the influence of the Pharisees and of Herod. What is the, 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 the result of the, Pharisee, the influence of the Pharisees and Herod? Uh, we know that they are spiritually blind. The Pharisees are hypocrites. And Herod is very immoral. He took his brother's wife. He's saying, uh, I do not want you to become like them. You are not operating in faith. Every situation I put you in, you're doubting me, you're questioning me, you do not yet understand. If you continue to not understand, your heart will be hard and your heart will be open to the wrong influence. Instead of following me, you'll find yourself following the world and trusting in the world. Unbelief, spiritual blindness affects our heart. And if we don't commit to the cure that God is offering us, we will find ourselves, instead of getting better and better progressively by being sanctified, our faith will be getting worse and worse. They're blind. They think that Jesus is still talking about physical bread. He's like, I moved on. And he says, have you not seen? Why are you still wondering about bread? What do I have to do to prove to you that I am a bread factory? What do I have to do to prove to you that I can feed a multitude with just a loaf? And he asks them a bunch of questions. When Jesus gets mad, he normally responds two ways. Number one, he just completely goes off, and that normally is how he responds to the Pharisees, Matthew chapter 23, or he just asks a bunch of questions. Reminds me of how God responded to Job. <laughs> Where were you when I? <laughs> he says, do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Have your eyes, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And they would have thought of Jeremiah 5 and Ezekiel chapter 12, where God was asking Israel that same question. But look at the last question he asks. Do you not yet understand? Spiritual blindness affects our understanding. And as people, when we talk about our relationship with God, it, 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 it should progress from 
no understanding to misunderstanding to one day fully understanding. But those who are completely blind, they have no understanding. Not no understanding necessarily of biblical truths. They may be able to say biblical truths, but they have no understanding of, holy, of fully who Jesus is. And those who are, have a, a misunderstanding, we may understand that he's the son of God, but there's areas of our lives where we fail to understand exactly the implications of that. Spiritual blindness hardens our hearts and it opens us to, bl- to bad influence. So the question is, what is the cure for our spiritual blindness? In this next section, Jesus gives us the cure. We see a story, verses 22 through 26, and it is a story of a real blind man, a person who is physically blind. And it seems like it's a, a rather real, uh, weird story as, as people bring a blind man to Jesus. And we know in the past that whenever someone came to Jesus, and whenever Jesus healed a person, that Jesus normally just spoke a short sentence and that person was healed. But here we see a blind man coming to Jesus and Jesus takes this blind man uh, away from the crowd. And the Bible says that Jesus touches the blind man. And we have to ask ourselves, not, why does Jesus touch the blind man? Why does he not just speak? And not only why does Jesus touch the blind man, but why does Jesus have to touch him twice? The Bible says that he touches the blind man and he asks him a question, do you see? What do you see? And the blind man responds, he says, I see men kind of walking like trees or looking like trees. So then Jesus touches them again. So does Jesus touch this man twice because Jesus' power is not sufficient? Or does Jesus touch this man twice because Jesus is trying to make a point to the disciples? And I believe that Jesus is trying to make a point to disciples. And the point is this, and the cure is this. The big idea that God wants us to walk away with is this. It is lingering blindness is only relieved by the continued touch of Jesus. Lingering blindness is only relieved by the continued touch of Jesus. Lingering blindness is only relieved by the continued touch of Jesus. Jesus is trying to show the disciples that walking with him means that they are going to continue to be touched by him. This man He saw, (laughs) he had a a, a partial understanding, and he saw that they were men, and they were walking, but they looked like trees. So what did Jesus have to do? Jesus had to touch them again so that they could see, he could see correctly. The same is true in the Christian life. Once we become saved, we have to understand that we are partially blind, and that blindness, spiritual blindness, it lingers. None of us can see clearly in every situation. All of us must be touched continually by Jesus. None of us have arrived. The disciples are Jesus' students. They have not arrived. There are areas in their lives that they are blind to, areas where they need Jesus to give them understanding. So how do we gain understanding? How do we stay Uh, How do we get healed from the spiritual blindness? Number one, we hang on to Jesus. We hang on to Jesus. Now notice I did not say we hang out with Jesus. The way in which we are cured from our spiritual blindness is we hang on to Jesus. It may not look like it, but the disciples are getting better. (laughs) 
as the story of the gospel goes on, they're, they're starting to see Jesus more and more clearly. And the reason why they're starting to see Jesus more and more clearly is because they're hanging on to him. They are following him every second of the day. He is literally staying over their houses. Their whole day is, is, is spent with them being in his presence. We have spiritual blindness. Some of us, our hearts are just full of pride in certain areas. Maybe it's in the fact that we're good speakers or the fact that we know the Bible. So when we hear someone else preach or when we hear someone else talk about the Bible, we're blind to the fact that we're being arrogant and we're judging what they say rather than asking God, what, do you, what are you saying to me? Spiritual blindness. Only way to cure that is by hanging on to Jesus, by being desperate, saying, Jesus, help me to hang on to you. Help me to not be blind in certain areas of my life. Every single one of us are blind in certain areas. Some of us, we are just unloving people at work, unloving people at home. We all have issues of sin that we're unaware of. And the main cure is Jesus. And it's his touch. And it's his people who have his touch speaking into our lives. And what we want to say, Lord, is, is give me understanding. And the Proverbs promise that the one who seeks understanding, that they will find it. My son, if you receive my words, if you treasure up my commandments, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, then you will fear the Lord. Proverbs chapter 2. Second, we have to humble ourselves daily and admit that we don't see clearly. We see in this passage this blind man. Jesus asked him a question, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see man, but they look like trees walking. He was willing to admit that he doesn't see clearly. He doesn't see clearly. Spiritual blindness is cured only by the continued touch of Jesus. And by when Jesus touches us, by us admitting, God, I don't know, and I don't see clearly. Do you see clearly? You know, seeing this and, and hearing this sermon and, 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 and seeing the effects of our spiritual blindness, it should lead us to be deeply humble people. When we understand that none of us have arrived and that we all have blind spots, we should drive more carefully. We should be less argumentative. And when people are talking, it should lead us to, to listen closely. When our wife is talking to us, and we shouldn't just assume, husbands, that we're right, wives, that we're right. We should be humble and say, you know what? I have some blind spots. Let me listen carefully. And stay near to Jesus so that he can touch me and give me sight. The next section we see Jesus asking a question to the disciples, as I said, who do men say that I am? And they give the popular opinion. Some say this, some say that. And we see that Peter is able to give the correct answer. But what I love about the Bible is the Bible does not allow us to believe that Peter was able to give the answer because Peter was smart enough. In Mark chapter 16, verse 17, we learned that the only way, reason that Peter was able to give the right answer 
is because the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. Mark doesn't include this, but Jesus, uh, but, but Matthew includes it more in depth. He says, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but it was only, it was only God's spirit. When we understand that we have spiritual blindness, we should be humbled in, in understanding that the things that we do see clearly is not a result of our intellect. It's not a result of our education. It's not a result of us figuring out. It's a result of God's grace and him touching us through his spirit and giving us life. All of us were completely spiritually blind until God touched us and touched us again. It was only the Holy Spirit that made our hearts alive. And even as we look at people who are blind, we cannot look down upon them as if we have saved ourselves. We must look and say, it is only by the grace of God and by the touch of God that I can see Jesus as he is. And that should cause us to humbly present the good news to them and say, my child, I know you're struggling. I know your life is hellish and you are messed up, (laughs) but I don't have a right to treat you that way. The only thing that's going to cure you is God's grace and his gospel of grace. You know, as I reflect on that experience with my my father, it was pretty amazing because when I got out the car, I was really nervous (laughs) about going inside, and I thought about everything I could do. I said, I can go maybe get some touch-up paint, ask for the car for a day, figure out my mom. I was just thinking all kind of crazy stuff because I was blind, you know. <laughs> i never forget. I went inside and I told him. His face dropped for a second. He just smiled. He got up, came outside, looked at it, said, boy, put his arms around me and said, I think dinner's ready. Let's go eat. <laughs> Every now and then he will remind me <laughs> of my failure to listen to him, but he does it in a loving way. He extended grace when I deserved judgment. The reason why we worship Jesus as Lord is because he extended grace to us when we deserve judgment. And he's the only one who can heal us from our blindness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you will help us all to see that we all have blind spots. We all have spots that we are falling short and failing in. Help us to understand that the effects of our blindness are many. And that if we stay there and think that we're okay, that our hearts can get harder. We can be people who don't have compassion. We ultimately can be faithless people, people who cannot please you because it's only through It is only through faith that we please you. Help us to trust you unconditionally. This week, we're going to go through some storms that we went through last week on our job. Help us not to respond with bitterness and help us not to doubt you and to say, Lord, why? How do you keep putting? But help us to trust you and to say, Lord, you can satisfy. Help us to stay near to you and not just hang out with you every now and then, but to hang on to you. Knowing that as we hang on to you, you will reveal to us the areas that we need to grow. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, which gives us sight. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.